76. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. God, we come before you, a broken people with much grief in our hearts in our lives, and um, God, we often don't feel like thanking you or rejoicing, but you command us to rejoice and to give thanks in all circumstances, and God, we thank you today for Jesus, who was willing to be estranged from you, who was willing to be crushed for our iniquities. God, as I take this little cup of grape juice and I think it shows us the blood of Jesus, but my goodness, there was so much more that was done and so much to cover up my sin. And um, God, may we understand our own sinfulness and our own desperate need for you and that Christ delighted in um, sharing his robes, giving us his righteousness so we could be in union with you. God, we thank you. We thank you for those things that you have done for us. Um, and we thank you for the things you are going to do, God. The way that you promised to provide, to care for, to bring wisdom. And um, Lord, we just pray. We pray for you to do your will, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrea. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians 1 uh, uh, for, the, uh, for a couple more weeks. We, like I said, we, we've been going through it. Uh, we started with Paul's first prayer. We kind of, his big first long sentence, that 202-word prayer at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, was uh, we spent five sermons kind of unpacking it. And uh, now we're moving forward. We're moving forward in verse 15. And uh, we're going to take a few weeks, and we're going to go through this next long sentence. This is all one sentence as well. Um, Paul just really, uh, you know, didn't have an, a good English teacher, I guess, to teach him about run-on sentences because there's a lot of those in here. Um, I, I know in Greek it makes sense uh, for it to be this way, but we are, we're going to be working through this, and uh, today uh, we're really just going to hit the beginning of this section, just the very beginning. We're going we're gonna to begin to unpack that. Um, so there's probably a lot of things in here you guys are excited to hear, and we're probably not going to get to those points today. 
So uh, next week we'll have the missionary. In a couple of weeks we'll be, we'll be getting into um, you know, uh, the verses where we talk about open the eyes of my heart, God. You guys remember this song and things like this. Uh, other things about Christian hope and about our inheritance and about God's power being above all things. And we're going to get to those things. But today we're going to focus in on the first two verses, verses 15 and 16. So many of you guys don't realize this, but last night a group of Afghan believers uh, left their houses at night went to a cave together, picked up a Bible, and began to read it and sing songs of praise to God in their native language. Last night, or today, yesterday, in Arad, Jewish believers came from different directions, parked in different parking lots, hiked into the middle of a forest to worship God so that to, to, together to stay away from uh, the religious persecution of the Orthodox Jewish community in Arad. In North Korea, uh, probably yesterday or maybe about to happen, believers risked their lives, uh, risked life in prison camp and even death to gather together to worship God. Why? Why couldn't they just do this at home with their family? Why, don't, why do these believers risk so much just to gather together? I think of believers right now uh, in Vietnam who meet behind false walls. So they come into a building and they, when the believers get in there, they erect a wall and they, and they seal it in so that nobody would know that there was even a room there. And they come and they worship together this way. Why? Don't they know that there are really great teachers online? I mean, some of the best preachers and teachers in the world, you can just look up all their sermons. In fact, you know, our music is great. I love our music here, but you know what? There, there's some really, really, maybe even more, even better musicians online that you could find. So why is it that we gather together? Is there something mystical about hearing me preach to you? Is there something special in the, in the interaction here? Is there something special about the musicians being live and here with you? Well, there is some things that are a little bit special about that. And the fact that I can see you and I can know you and I, I know who it is I'm preaching to. There's no doubt about it. There are better teachers and there are better musicians out there. So why? Why do we worship together? I believe it's because God has not only given us himself um, in Christ, but he is uniting us to one another in uniting us to him. We are commanded to gather together, not to burden us. It's not a, it shouldn't be a burden to gather together, but rather we are commanded to gather together, not to burden us, but to bolster us. You see, having a spiritual family that loves you, encourages you, who picks you up when you fail, who lovingly corrects you when you go wayward, who walks with you through your darkest valley, valleys, and who dances with you on your glorious mountaintops is one of the best gifts God gives us when we follow him. And today, as we dive into Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, we're going to glimpse a picture of how we can be a community that is marked by grace. So let's see it. Paul says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. Get this. Paul says, I've heard of your faith and I've heard about your love for everyone and I am constantly thankful for you and constantly praying for you. Paul, though, though this is likely a circular letter and he likely doesn't know all these people individually, he's heard of their faith, he's heard of these things that are about them and Paul doesn't miss any opportunity to commend the believer's that he's writing to. He tells them just how thankful he is for them. So what does Paul commend them for? Let's see the two things he commends them for. First, he commends them for their faith in the Lord Jesus. Though 
just to be clear, these believers were like, likely not perfect in their doctrine or not likely perfect in their understanding even of, of their faith. How do we know this? Because he writes Ephesians chapter 2 where he has to clarify to them, it is by faith that we are saved, not by works. So while they understand the gospel on some level, they're still struggling through to figure out uh, this idea of uh, being saved by faith alone in Christ alone. More than this, he commends them for loving all the saints, though they certainly were not doing this perfectly. Paul spends a big portion of the letter helping them to understand how, how to love one another well, how to love one another and overcome sectarian divides. He wouldn't have to say, say those things or write those things if this wasn't something that they struggled with. I'll, but even so, even though they're struggling with this, Paul commends them for their love for one another. So what is Paul doing here? Is Paul just trying to butter them up? Is he using the old sandwich method of correction? You guys know the sandwich method, right? You butter them on this side, you say something nice, and then you tell them the thing they don't want to hear, and then you butter them on the other side. I don't think Paul's doing that. Why? Well, I, I think it would likely be, if he didn't actually believe it, he would be lying to them or flattering them in order to try to manipulate the Ephesians into listening to what he says. I want you to get this. A compliment is insincere when it's only given to soften a blow of correction. If you don't give compliments, except when you're giving correction, you're not really ever giving compliments. No, Paul genuinely perceives faith in them. Though it is still young and it is not mature, he perceives it. And he perceives a love for all the saints in them, though it's still a struggle. And Paul, being the man of God that he is, he is looking for every reason to commend the Ephesian church with sincerity. He commends them for fruit that is still in the process of ripening, fruit that is still in the process of maturing. I think of, when I, as I pastored teenagers before, I can tell you, I pastored many teenagers who have been struggling with online addiction to uh, inappropriate things. And I can tell you this, uh, many students that, I, that, I, that I've discipled through this, many of them struggle with looking at these things every single day. All right, every day they're struggling with looking at these things. And I can tell you, uh, I, one, of the, one of the coolest things is to be able to commend a young believer for saying, hey man, did, you know, how, how's this week? And he's like, they'll, they'll come to you and they'll say, Matt, I didn't look at it once this week. And, it, and you, you, it, you guys might, you might look at him and say, well, it's only been a week. I mean, seriously, come on guys. Or you can commend them while they're still in the process of maturing. You can look for the good and say, praise the Lord. I can't believe it. Awesome. That is so good. This is like the longest it's been since you were in the seventh grade. Praise God. Paul's commending. He's looking for a reason to commend them. I'll tell you this. Most people in this world are searching for faults in other people and complaining about them, condemning them. But Paul is searching for the good in others and commending it. Paul is saying to the, in, in essence, to these believers in Ephesus, I can't get over how thankful I am for you. In essence, he is saying in this commendation, he is saying, I see you, believers. I see you. He says, I think about you. I admire you. I care about you. I am proud of you. What if we were like this? Going out of our way to commend one another, encourage one another, showing love and affection for one another, being thankful for one another, and expressing that thankfulness. So what does it look like to express thankfulness with sincerity? Let me, let me just give you an example. You can look at someone, you go up to them, you look them in the eyes and you say, I see the evidence of God's grace in your life. 
I saw that you were this way, and now I see God is working in you, and you are becoming like this. Praise the Lord. I am so proud of you. I am so happy to see how God is working in you. What if that's what marked our conversations? I remember the first time I experienced people intentionally commending one another. See, I was 19, and I had grown up in a church, uh, uh, and, I, and I, I went to go serve with a ministry called Global Youth Ministry at 19. And uh, we were on staff, and we were doing camps and conferences, and we went overseas and did some mission work. But I remember one of the things they did when I first got there, and I thought it was so lame at first. I mean, so lame. They gave us all a little bag, a little lunch bag, and they had us write our name on it, and they said, hey, guys, we want you to catch one another doing good things and commend one another for doing good things. And because it's hard, especially for you boys, to actually say nice things to one another, we want you to write them down and put them in the little bag. And I thought, lame, not doing that. And then the first week came around. We were in our training week, and all of a sudden, I got some letter, some little notes in my, in my bag. And I was like, Matt, when you prayed for me the other day, that was so helpful for me. That was so encouraging to me. Matt, when the camp started, they say, Matt, when I saw you with your students, I saw this and I saw that and I saw this. And they were commending. They were catching me doing good things and they were encouraging me for no reason. There was no manipulation tactics. There was no sandwich method. No, they were just catching me doing good. They were just loving me. They were just commending the good they saw in me. And I was still in process, just like all of us are. What if that was not just something that's abnormal, but what if that was just normal? Many of you guys have a card or a letter or something that someone wrote to you for no good reason except just to say that they love you and they care about you and they're thankful for you and they're proud of you. And you, 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 that, that letter or that moment or that, I, that thing is so precious to you, that memory. Why? Because when, when that's, that's a conversation that is marked by the grace of God. So let's, let's see what Paul exactly is commending them for. First, he's commending them for their faith in the Lord Jesus. Their faith in the Lord Jesus. This word, uh, uh, this is not the normal way Paul refers to Jesus. He sometimes uses this term, but, but most of the time he doesn't. So let's, let's see what this is. Um, there are three words I want us to focus on here, in on here, um, which is faith, Lord, and Jesus. First, let's talk about faith. Paul is saying, you were saved not by works. He'll, he'll unpack this more in chapter 2. Not by works, not lest any man should boast, not by anything you've done, but no, by faith you've been saved. But not just faith in, in anything or faith in general. No, faith in a very specific thing, which is the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul calling him the Lord Jesus, that, is the, that word he uses there is kyrio, which is uh, the word that, is oft, that, that, that means like it's used for God. In fact, like uh, 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 when, when Caesar declared himself to be a god, he started calling himself Caesar or Caesar uh, Kyrio. I'm, I'm butchering how he says his name. But yeah, the idea is that uh, Paul is not only saying he is a king or he is above all, but no, he is saying that he is divine and calling him the Lord Jesus. So he's saying by putting your faith in the divine Lord Jesus, the divine king Jesus, that I, I saw that and I see that and I commend that. Paul, here's the deal. Paul is commending them for being in Christ. We are saved when we believe that Jesus is risen, is the risen son of God, who is the Lord of everything, and not just believing that. By the way, just believing that, the demons believe that. Just believing that Jesus is the risen son of God does not save you, no, but believing and putting your faith and trust in him as the Lord of your life, giving yourself to him completely. This is what it means to be a Christian. And Paul is saying, I have seen you put your faith in Jesus alone. You have trusted in him. And I am so thankful. There's no salvation apart from 
this faith in the Lord Jesus. Second, we see Paul commending their love for all the saints. He says, I'm thankful because I see your love for everyone, for all the saints. We know that they were doing this imperfectly. We know that there were divisions and there were fault lines and there were brokenness. But they were trying to love everyone in the church, regardless of their background. And remember, this is Ephesus. There are likely lots of natural fault lines. There were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were rich, there were poor, there were slaves, there were free, and likely much, many, many, many more fault lines in their church. Similarly, in a church like ours, we're a diverse group of people. Some of us are abrasive, some of us are sensitive. Some are aggressive, some are passive. Some grew up in loving homes and some grew up in abusive homes. Some grew up in wealth and some grew up in poverty. Some of you guys have have lived with a happy marriage and some of you have walked through hard marriages and divorce. And the list could go on and on and on. There's a lot of diversity in a room like this. A lot of natural fault lines. But praise the Lord, Jesus can bring unity even when there is not uniformity. He can cause us to love, uh, he can cause us to love people well, even when those people are people we would normally find unlovable. How? How do we love people who are unlovable? How do we love people who we would naturally have enmity towards? By reminding us of the gospel. No matter our background, we all find ourselves in the same spiritual place. Every single one of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus. We found ourselves a broken sinner who deserved the wrath of God. We all look at ourselves and we know this about ourselves. This is foundational knowledge for being a follower of Jesus. We're broken sinners, rightly deserving the wrath of God. Therefore, none of us can boast and say that it was any good quality within us that caused us to be saved. No, none of us were, none of us achieved some righteousness that caused Christ to save us. No, none of us got to any certain place. No, God reached down and saved us from eternity past. However, though none of us deserved it, Jesus is is the perfect son of God who died and took our wrath on the cross. So all of us equally deserve the wrath of God, but all of us have received the gift of grace through faith in Jesus. So no one is better or worse. No one can boast of their righteousness in Christ. And when we receive Christ, we are united to him. And in being united to him, we are united to each other. When we are in him, all other categories that want to define us dissolve. Things like I am this or I am that. Uh, We're no longer Jews or Gentiles, Americans or Afghans, white or black, rich or poor, a goody two-shoes or a rule breaker. No, we are all new creations in, uh, in Christ when we are united to him through Jesus' shed blood. This means we can love uh, those in the world uh, that we should naturally hate. There's a ministry in Israel called Musalaha. It me- it's in Arabic, it means reconciliation. This is a ministry that gathers Arab Christians and uh, Jewish Christians, Jewish believers, Messianic Jews, and Arab Christians together. These were people who would naturally have deep fault lines, who would have very different views on the conflict in Israel. Fair enough? Very different views on, on what's going on in society. Very different ideas about all of these things. And these are people who come together and worship the risen Savior and love one another and hug one another and show care and compassion for one another. And this ministry has helped cultivate deep friendship, deep connection between the Arab Christian world and the Messianic Jewish world. In fact, so much so that in a place like Haifa, where there are Arabs and there are Jews, there are congregations, there's a congregation of Messianic Jews that's led by an Arab man. Praise the Lord. Because in Christ, all other categories that seek to define us are dissolved. 
We are new creations in him. There is no Arab. There is no Jew. There is no slave. There is no free. For some of you, it's not a category of person that you're struggling to love. No, it's an individual in the body of Christ who frustrates you, who annoys you, or just seems to make you angry. If this is where you are, I want you to know this, that you're likely struggling with this person because of their weakness in some way. You're frustrating with them because they're not meeting a standard you want them to meet. But I want you to step back and look at them the way Jesus sees them. Jesus sees a person, the person that you're frustrated with, when Jesus looks at them, he sees them as a treasured possession, as someone he died for, as someone who he reconciled to himself, even in the middle of their struggle, as someone who is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ, though more slowly than anyone, including that person, probably would like. When you look at a person like this, you're reminded, hopefully, of just how similar they are to you. They might be at a different point in their process, but when you are the exact same, so am I. We are all strugglers. But when God looks at us, he sees us as his treasured possession. He, see, he sees you as someone he died to reconcile, even in the middle of your struggle. He sees you as someone who is being conformed to the image of Christ. And just so you know, any of us who are following Christ, we, would, we all would agree that more slowly than we would like, we are being conformed to his image. And as you see yourself in the same boat as them, you realize that both of you are strugglers. And it's very easy when you see someone as, who's struggling in their faith, someone who's weak in some way, shape, or form, who you'd naturally have empathy with, but when you see them as a fellow struggler, it's easy to have empathy for them. And when you have empathy for them, you find out, as a follower of Christ, you want to help them. You want to love them and help them in their walk, even though they might be a little annoying or frustrating. This is what it means to be a community of grace. It means that the most cantankerous and curmudgeon among us are loved and supported and cared for just as much as the kind and generous. A community of grace is a, is a community where the weak are built up and not torn down. A community where love is expressed, even for the most unlovable among us. A community that is marked by grace. My hope is, is that grace would abound at Berean. It's my prayer that we would be a place where strugglers feel welcome, where the weak feel cared for, where those who are downtrodden feel encouraged and built up rather than torn down. It is my hope that we would be a place of commendation. And the only way that this happens is when we yield ourselves to Christ, when we remind ourselves of the gospel, and we remember that we are all one in him. So, I don't have a long message for you today. But I want to close with a few things. First, we talked about Jesus being the Lord, being curious. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he someone you believe in, like theoretically you believe he's God, but is he, or, or is he someone you have genuinely said, you are my king, I live for you, I give myself to you, Jesus? If that's not where you are, I would challenge you this morning. Say, Jesus, I give myself to you. I put my faith in you, Lord Jesus. I can tell you we will all be so thankful. We will all be so excited to see what God is doing in your life. Maybe you look at yourself and you, you, you ask yourself a question. Do you have a commending spirit or a complaining spirit? 
or a condemning spirit? Are you searching out the good in those around you and commending it? Are you looking for reasons to encourage, looking for reasons to build up? Let's be clear. There's a place for correction in the body of Christ. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. But the norm, the regular, the way we connect with one another, it should be in commending and caring for, encouraging and building up. This should be a mark of, our, of, of, the, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And even when we correct, we're doing that from a place of love and care. So look at your soul. Are you searching out the good? Are you looking for ways to commend those around you? Or are you, are you looking for the bad? If you, are, if you find yourself in that place, I would challenge you today to repent, to turn to Jesus. Finally, could Paul commend you for loving all the saints? Are you loving the saints? Are, uh, I want you to look, think about the people who are in your life. Are strugglers welcome in your life? Are people who are frustrating and annoying are, are, are the only people in your life people you just click with? Are the only people in your life just people you just find so easy to talk to and engage with? Or do you have some people in your life that are difficult and are hard and sometimes annoying and frustrating and step on your toes? I can tell you, if, you're, if you intentionally are inviting those people into your life as, as a brother in Christ and you're intentionally seeking to build them up, I, it, it will be frustrating and it will be hard, but you will get to be a part of the process of helping cultivate and grow believers around you. You'll be in the process of giving people a, a, a hand up rather than putting people down. Sometimes we do that even by avoiding people. So are, strugg are strugglers welcome in your life? Are difficult people welcome to be a part of your life? I hope so. Because guess what? We're all pretty difficult. I want to pray that this truth that we, that we would be a place that commends one another, that, that genuinely builds one another up. I want to pray for that at Berean, and then I want to sing some songs and let us repent if we need to. And if you want to give your life to the Lord Jesus this morning, I pray that you would. Let us pray. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are timely. Lord, I thank you, God, that you have us in this text today. Lord, I pray that in my own heart, God, that you would help me to see the good, commend the good, to love people well, to love people who are broken well, Lord, to love strugglers. Jesus, I pray that as we sing, Lord, that if, if we need to repent, Lord, if we, if we see a critical spirit within us, if we see a condemning spirit within us, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would genuinely repent. Lord, if there are those in this room who we do not have love for, Lord Jesus, I pray that God, by the power of your spirit this morning, God, that you would bring about reconciliation that can only be accomplished by you. Lord Jesus, I pray that God, by the power of your spirit, Lord, you would make us one. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for what you did for us. And Lord, we love you. And we thank you, God, for the other broken sinners around us. God, who are being conformed to the image of Christ. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this family of believers here. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to truly, truly love one another the way that you love us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.